This podcast is made possible by our supporters over on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get your own RSS feed with ad-free shows and extra episodes every month, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. Another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. And we're on a different day this week. We're on, we're on a Sunday. Feels weird up in here. A nice Sunday matinee podcast, yeah. if you will. Almost like, you know, those old uh, like Saturday or Sunday matinee movies you used to go to to get like cheaper ticket <laughs> prices. But yeah. I, I like a good Sunday matinee. This whole weekend, AMC theaters are doing like a $3 uh, movie for the weekend. Uh, we were going to go yesterday, but I, I, there's really nothing I want to go see right now. Yeah, it's. I know they re-released Jaws in 3D, which would be kind of cool to see. Yeah, but they didn't have that at the theater that we had, the AMC we have. If they'd have had it, I'd have went to it. Yeah, other than that, there's really nothing that is jumping out at me. But it is cool that they're doing something like that, though. But uh, anything interesting happen this week for you? Uh, not really. I mean, work was just, you know, pretty, pretty standard. Um, just, we, we did have to, um, push shooting for the feature back again, um, due to, um, the, one of our actors is working on a, a show that's being filmed here locally and they had to film on Sunday. So he wasn't going to get finished until late. So we, um, we pushed it back so it'll be filmed um, a week from actually two weeks from today. Nice. So, they, so it's always it's always I hate that feeling when stuff's not done. <laughs> it's like I just want to get it done. Well, and the worst is just when it's so close. Like you can see the light at the yeah. end of the tunnel, but it's like you're just stuck in this one spot and you can't really do anything until you know until you finish that last little bit. Yeah, and you know I'm a horror movie aficionado and. Uh, Last night I was watching Shudder and realized I've never seen Phantasm. I've seen the other ones like Phantasm 2 and 3, and I think there's like six of them at this point, but I've never seen the first one. And I didn't realize that movie came out in 1979, and that's a pretty uh, it's a pretty good movie for for a horror movie in 1979. And uh was looking at a lot of the the trivia for it on IMDb, and that whole movie was filmed over weekends for like months. Wow. And because um, the guy would, uh, the director would rent all the equipment on a Friday and then just rent it for one day and, and t- take it back on Monday. So he rented it on, on Friday so he would have it the whole weekend. That's got to suck to worry about that continuity. Yeah, I know. Because like if you're, if you're doing it over multiple days, you know, it, it, it works. But if you can only focus on weekends, you got to, because you and I worry about <laughs> are people's hair is it going to be the same? Is facial yeah. hair going to be the same? Little little nuances like that. Yeah, if you've never seen it, it's a pretty good movie. Go check it out. Like you know, because Halloween's coming up. It's that time of the year, and um, yeah, it's only like an hour and twenty minutes long. And the original cut of the movie was over three hours. I can believe that though. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Halloween because I was taking my dog out for a walk a couple of mornings ago, and I noticed the first little little tease of fall like it, there was a nice cool breeze yeah and i'm like 
And then, of course, you know, by the afternoon, it was sweltering hot. But I'm like, it's it's on its way. Yeah, you can it's enjoy it. here. You can enjoy it a little bit in the mornings, and that's about it. Yeah. But what about you? How's your week been? Uh, it's going pretty good. Uh, yesterday, I went uh, thrifting and found a, found some VHS tapes, and I found I, I and I posted it on Twitter. I found Street Fighter, a really good copy of Street Fighter for the on, on VHS, and I'm going to do as as a uh, I'm going to do a giveaway. Here on the show, not this week, uh, probably either next week or the week after um, we get back on a normal schedule, but uh, I'll figure out a good contest for, for somebody to, to win. I might just say, tweet at me um, why you think Street Fighter is the greatest video game movie ever made, <laughs> and if you can convince me, then you win. Send us a picture of your best smoking jacket. Yes. <laughs> and you'll get a copy of Street Fighter on VHS. Send us your best smoking jacket picture and you will win Street Fighter VHS. It doesn't have to be a fancy smoking jacket. We'll yeah. just pick the best. <laughs> but uh, on that note, yeah. you, um, you ready to go into the news for this week? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Today's stories were submitted to us by I Am The Rampage and Armez Jackson. If you have a story you'd like us to cover, please send them to NerdCaveRetro at gmail.com. And the first story tonight is from ComingSoon.net. Uh, I'm kind of excited for this. Netflix's blockbuster series gets a release date and first picks. Netflix has announced a premiere date for its upcoming comedy series, Blockbuster, centered around the once-prominent chain of video stores. Set to premiere on Netflix on November 3rd, the series will be comprised of 10 episodes, each lasting around 30 minutes. Stars Randall Park as Timmy Yoon, Melissa Fumero as Eliza Walker, Tyler Alvarez as Carlos Herrera, and and so on. And it will be... uh, Let's see. Yeah, it comes out. What did I say? November third. So November third. Kind of excited for this. It's kind of a slap in the face to to Blockbuster that you're the <laughs> you're the company that took them down, and now you're going to make a, a a series based on it. I was about to bring that up. It's ironic that of all the streaming platforms that is creating this series, it is the one that ultimately put Blockbuster out of business. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm excited for it. I really like Randall Park. I think he's been great in you know what little I've seen him in. He has a hilarious appearance in The Office. Um, he's a, a pretty underrated character in the MCU, in my opinion, was a yeah. really integral part of WandaVision especially. I, I'm excited for it. I mean, I, we all like that little bit of nostalgia, and I think we all knew it was only a matter of time before some kind of blockbuster series not blockbuster in scale wise but of course the video store i think it'll be really cool and i like the premise of it yeah it says here the premise is uh timmy yoon is an analog dreamer living in a 5g world and after he after learning he is operating the last blockbuster video in america timmy and his staff uh fight to stay relevant the only way to succeed is to remind their community that they provide something big corporations can't human connection i wish there was still a blockbuster around here just that there there was something exciting especially whenever they would do the dvd sales where you could get like you know three dvds for 20 bucks or something like that was always fun to to go to and it's just almost like you're taking a trip back in time yeah i know and we got rampage and armez jackson in the in the chat room and armez jackson yes you are finally here for a live taping welcome (laughs) it only took us moving to a sunday to get uh to get more people so Welcome. Welcome, guys. Thanks for checking us out. 
But yeah, I, I think the show will be really fun. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Let's see. This next story comes to us from kitguru.net. Konami is bringing back dozens of delisted games. As a publisher, Konami has taken many steps away from the limelight, especially when it comes to big-budget releases. While the number of new games being created remains rather small for now, the publisher has continued to dip its toes back into the industry, the latest move which will see dozens of old Konami games brought back for sale. Of course, they own some of the most iconic franchises, which include Metal Gear Solid, Castlevania, and Bomberman. Uh, the publisher announced that the Metal Gear Solid games, which were delisted and uh, so unavailable for purchase, would be coming back to digital storefronts at some point in the future. Now they have announced that a whole host of other games are set to be brought back as well. Let's see, there will be... Uh, they tweeted, Attention Konami fans, for the first time ever, all the classic games you love and the new games you're waiting for are coming to the official Konami stop or shop as Steam Digital Downloads. 23 games, 18 DLCs. This was then followed up by a number of hashtags giving fans a hint at some of the older franchises set to come back, namely Castlevania, Silent Hill, Bomberman, Metal Gear, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, to name a selection. So what do you think about uh, Konami kind of dipping their toes back into, into relevancy a little bit? I dig it. I'm ready for Konami to come back into the limelight. Please bring me, I need more Castlevania games. I need more Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games. I need Contra to make a comeback. Why is Contra not a, uh, a, a first-person Halo-type shooter these days? Why? Why is it not Konami? I don't know. I, I'm curious to see like what happens after these batch of games are released. Because like, if they're if they do well enough, who knows what could happen? We might get something like you mentioned with Contra. We might see you know, updated or more modern versions of a Castlevania or a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. And Bomberman would make a great uh, game, sort of like uh, Super Mario 35 games like that mm -hmm. or. Uh... You know, kind of like, um, or not like, not necessarily like Tetris 99, but like almost like a 99 type of game where you could get in there and, and play with Bomberman. That would be actually really be cool. Yeah, because I remember Bomberman was not a huge deal, like on the level of like a Mario or a Sonic. But I, like you at least knew of Bomberman. Yeah. So I, I think it'd be cool if he made a little bit of a comeback. I'd be okay with that. Come on, Konami. We need you. We need you in this day and age. The world needs Konami. <laughs> and uh, from comicbook.com, Nintendo comments on the PlayStation 5 price increase uh, following Sony's surprising announcement. And this is after we didn't get to talk about the news last week. This was the week before that we talked about uh, the Sony raising their price. Uh, that was actually on the news dump. We did that 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 story um, that Sony's surprising announcement that they'd be raising the prices of the PlayStation 5. And uh, in select regions, Nintendo has now weighed in on its pricing strategies for Nintendo's Switch family of consoles. Nintendo's comments on the topic follow a response from Microsoft, which similar, similarly addressed concerns from prospective buyers who worried that the other major software man, hardware manufacturers might follow Sony's example and increase their own respective prices. Uh, fortunately for those who are still considering buying a Nintendo Switch or the other newer bottles, it doesn't look like that'll be an issue. Like Microsoft, Nintendo didn't guarantee that it never raised prices, seeing how things can always change later. But for now, the Nintendo Switch prices will remain the same. 
I don't foresee Nintendo increasing the price of the Switch personally. I it's good that they said they can't, you know, guarantee it because just in in the economy we live in, everything is just like is more expensive. Like a lot of things are going up from, you know, groceries, gas, you know, we that could be a whole separate podcast about that, but I heard um, some rumblings about this from the uh, the economic side of why this is happening. It's it's basically like PlayStation can't sell enough of their PlayStation fives because they don't have enough of them, so therefore they have to raise the price because they can't. It's so it's like this weird loop of of them not producing enough, not selling enough, but they have to charge more. And it's weird how this is happening. And I'm, I'm kind of worried about Sony right now. Cause they are really, really slipping behind Microsoft. And I don't want Microsoft and Nintendo to be the only two games in town. I like having, uh, all the, I like having different software and hardware options because it, 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 I don't like monopolies. Yeah. I mean, maybe Sony will be able to survive. I mean, I think it would take a lot for them to be out of the gaming market personally, because they've, they've been so successful in the past, but we just live in such a strange time economically. And like you said, it logistically, like it shouldn't make sense what you just described, but, it is kind of what it is at yeah. this point. So we can we can just hope that things get better. But I don't think Sony has the war chest that Microsoft and Nintendo has. They can't afford very many missteps. True. That is true, but we'll we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Our next story comes to us from nintendolife.com. Rare's unreleased Game Boy rival is a true handheld marvel. British video game developer Rare is undoubtedly best known for its close relationship with Nintendo back in the 90s and early 2000s, before Microsoft outright acquired it in 2002. Indeed, games like GoldenEye 007, Banjo-Kazooie, and Perfect Dark have all submitted themselves as icons in the industry uh, in the late 80s. However, Rare embarked on a decidedly different venture, one that ultimately never came to fruition. As reported by our friends over at Time Extension, before Nintendo's Game Boy system was announced and released, Rare's co-founder, Chris Stamper, worked on a hardware project known as the Raz Arcade Board, which used a Zilog Z80 processor and could apparently display thousands of on-screen colors, certainly more than Nintendo's own Game Boy can manage. This board would then be utilized in a handheld device that Rare christened the Playboy, hmm. with much of the exterior design handled by the company's other co-founder, Tim Stamper. And there's actually a, a picture of it, courtesy of the Retro Computer Museum. It looks like... It looks like a guess, foldable Game Boy. <laughs> it, it looks like a, a foldable Game Boy. It also looks like early concept designs for like a like a handheld yeah. computer device. It's a, a longtime fans of the Sonic cartoon and the comic book will will get this reference, but uh, one of the characters named Sally had like a portable computer named Nicole. It looks exactly like the Playboy. Hmm. Like just but Nicole was like a darker gray. But that that would have been a, a 
pretty wild what if scenario if Rare had launched their own handheld system. Yeah, it seems like um, this probably would have been very expensive to produce back in the 90, early '90s, like this. And I, looking at the, just looking at it, it doesn't look very like it would have been very comfortable to play. They would have had to completely redo, uh, like where the, the, like it doesn't have a D pad. It has like a a round D, indented pad for the D pad. And the two buttons, the A and B button, are down in the corner. So you would be holding it, like, at the end of it. And you've got all this top weight at the top. Like, it would, it looks like it would be very, very uncomfortable to play. Yeah, it doesn't look very user-friendly at all. Like, maybe if, if you take a look at it, if they move all the buttons, like, higher up mm-hmm. from where they are, then it might be a little better. But it looks too bottom heavy like this it looks foldable but the screen looks so small compared to the rest of it that it looks kind of disproportionate it looks like something out of star trek like it would have been star trek tech back on the old original series like a tricorder or something like that yeah i was about to say like the tricorder yeah all they need is uh william shatner to endorse it (laughs) but yeah just looking at this thing like the select and start button it looks like those should be switched with where the D-pad and the A and B buttons are. 100% agree. And the A and B buttons need to be oriented the other way because of the natural placement of your thumb. Like, I, I don't understand. When I see weird control schemes like this, I'm like, are you just not looking at the way hands hold things when you design this stuff? Uh, this, this is why we have testing yeah. <laughs> for things like that. But I mean, it would have been, it'd be cool to like get my hands on it and actually play it and see it. But I don't think this thing would have taken off the way it looks now. We would get some pretty good buzz if we reviewed a game from the never released Playboy. (laughs) Yeah, that would be cool, actually. (laughs) And uh, for the last story tonight, this is from uh, Netflix.com. Francis Lawrence is diving down to Rapture with Bioshock. Pick your plasmid and get ready to evolve because the Bioshock movie just found its director. Fresh off the teaser trailer for his upcoming Netflix spectacle adventure, Slumberland, Francis Lawrence is joining the film adaptation and he's bringing along Logan and Blade Runner 2049 screenwriter Michael Green. The Little Sisters are in good hands. Uh, The original Bioshock is more than just a superb first-person shooter game. It's also a sneakily compelling morality tale told deep under the surface of the ocean in a creepy underwater city called Rapture. And uh, it sold a combined 39 million copies worldwide. That's a lot of copies. Yeah, people loved Bioshock, especially back in the day. Well, I went back and played it and reviewed it not too long ago, and it still holds up. It's so good. Well, and uh, to mention Francis Lawrence, he's also, uh, he directed uh, the Hunger Games movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's mostly known for doing music videos, but he, he's got, you know, some pretty decent clout to him. So, plus with having the writer of Logan and uh, Blade Runner, I think is, I think it's pretty good. So I think it's in good hands. As long as they stay true to <clears throat> the, the, the way that, mo- that game felt. And, you know, just the, the whole world of Rapture. It's not, I, I don't care so much about the antagonist or, or things like that. Like, you're, you're, the, you're the protagonist in the game because it's first person, of course. But 
what the game is about, the story, and just the atmosphere and the world itself of Rapture, if they don't get Rapture right, it's not going to be good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Hopefully it'll hopefully it'll turn out well. I'm really curious to see, you know, some set photos to kind of get an idea of the look of the film. Mm. And then of course, you know, when the first trailer drops is when we'll really kind of get an idea, but yeah. I really hope it does well. Like I we've said this ad nauseum on the show, but I would love for more video game adaptations to be successful. Yeah, they have to keep that 1920s art deco you know uh, the 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 world of tomorrow type of, of yep. <laughs> aesthetic to everything, just to make it look like Rapture and feel like Rapture, and it needs to feel claustrophobic and and dark and scary. Yep, hopefully it will. But uh, next up, we have this month in video game history. <laughs> September 19th of 1985, Capcom releases Ghosts and Goblins, originally titled, I'm going to butcher this, Makemura in Japan. It was one of the most popular arcade games of the year and went on to spawn a series of later games. I remember you uh, reviewed this one a few years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. I believe for uh, our Halloween Horror Month. Yeah. It's a tough yeah. game. It's hard. Yeah. 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 That's, I, I learned that very quickly. <laughs> When I played that for the first time, and the mess, but I still part enjoyed of that it. Game though. is when you do beat it, you don't. It's not the end of the game. You have to go through the whole thing again. <laughs> That's those who are listening on audio. You can't see that, but yeah. you can. You you probably get the idea. Uh, September fourteenth of nineteen eighty nine, Capcom releases Ducktales for the NES in North America. It of course is based on the Disney animated TV series of the same name it's one of the greatest like animated show adaptations of a game ever like it's so fun i would go so far as to say it's probably the best disney game for the nes i would agree with that i you know like i I had a lot of fun with darkwing duck Mm -hmm. but i still think i like ducktales a little bit more it's pro. It, I, I would say it's in. It's definitely, if not in the top five, it's definitely in the top ten best NES games. As far as music, uh, graphics, playability, it's just it's almost a perfect game. I'd for sure say like maybe borderline top five, like maybe in like the six or seven range, but absolutely in the top ten. And let's see, September of nineteen ninety one, Namco releases Starblade for arcades featuring one of the earliest instances instances of real-time 3D graphics in a game. Do I remember playing Starblade? I don't think... The arcade cabinet looks really cool. I don't think I played this game, but uh, it looks vaguely familiar. It almost looks like a Tron machine. It really does, and even the the screenshot of the game on the Wikipedia page, it has a little bit of a Tron type of vibe. Yeah. I, I just... I've always liked those big arcade cabinets that you have to like physically sit in to play there there's one um there was an arcade in tallahassee that i went to a couple of years ago that had a halo one and i'm like if i had a house big enough i would love to have that just on display makes you wonder what happened to all these old arcade machines Cause there had now to I'm going to be wondering about that for the rest of the day. There had to be thousands of them spread out. It, it, just in the U.S. alone, thousands of them. And then 
Now there's no arcade. So what happened to all those arcade machines? If there's not a show based off of that, then we should make it. We should ha- we should call Discovery. Be like, hey, give us a yeah. show where we hunt down arcade machines across the U.S. <laughs> Have we got an idea for you? <laughs> September 9th of 1996, Naughty Dog releases the original Crash Bandicoot for the PlayStation. Of course, Sony's attempt at having that type of mascot character in vain of like a Mario or a Sonic. And the Crash games are a lot of fun in their own right. But I think out of all of the original trilogy, the original is my least favorite just because the sequels expanded upon it and added so much to it like improved graphics because you go back and look at that original crash bandicoot game it looks rough yeah <laughs> like it looks really bad but it, it's still fun to play you know it it laid the foundation for two and three um i i personally like crash bandicoot i wouldn't say that i love the games but they are fun i never was a big fan of like those first person platformer type of games or, or even like endless runners because this has this is the dna for endless runners. It just never was my thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody. Uh, September 14th of 2001, Nintendo releases the GameCube and its launch titles, Luigi's Mansion and Wave Race Blue Storm in Japan. You know what? I want to re- review Wave Race. I need to get a copy of this game because I remember loving Wave Race back in the day. I never played a Wave Race game. I'm going to do that. It, I'm going to it... keep my eye out for a Wave Race it looked fun, and I, I remember, you know, Japan obviously getting the GameCube before we did, and just, like, those last two months were just killing me because I wanted to play Luigi's Mansion, I wanted to play the new Smash Brothers, and even, you know, when they announced Pikmin, because uh, Pikmin and Smash Brothers Melee technically weren't launch titles, so it came out in middle of November in North America. Luigi's Mansion and Wave Race were launch titles, but... They didn't come out with Pikmin and Smash Brothers until early December, and Wave which Race is really stupid. Is uh, not that bad. It's going for twenty bucks on eBay right now, so I might have to pick up a copy. Yeah, I think you should. I, uh, I figured it would be more, to be honest. I, I did too, because <laughs> GameCube games are going up, way going up in price lately. Yeah, that's why I'm glad I kept a lot of my old GameCube games because I've wish. seen some that are you know like in the hundreds. I wish I would have. And last but not least, September 17th of 2002, Square releases Kingdom Hearts for the PlayStation 2 in North America, which you reviewed not too long ago yes. on this show. I like that game. I, I, still, have to, I, I still have to play the, the remake that they did. Because it, was, I it am, was sent to me, and I just, I, I just haven't gotten around to it. I'm a little surprised that this hasn't been turned into a series or a movie. You would think... I'd love to see it. Like, I I love the story. You know, I remember when this game was announced, I thought, this isn't going to work. Like, I would never have pictured Disney and, like, Final Fantasy, like, that marriage to work. But within a few minutes, you know, I was I was hooked. Like, well, after you get out of the, the tutorial portion, once you actually really get going with the story, it's a really fun game. Disney Plus would, I think Disney Plus would have a, a bona fide hit on their hands if they did a Kingdom Hearts series or for Disney Plus. 
Because number one, it would make all the regular Disney characters uh, relevant again. I mean, not that they're not relevant, but, you know, they would be in a new series, you know, that kids would like, that older generation would like, and then you got all the Final Fantasy people, and then you would have this awesome TV show that people would be screaming as woke. <laughs> like everything else they do. Yeah. So I'm I'm numb to all that to be honest. Like Pretty if much. I don't hear anything about it, it it's more surprising. But uh, before we go into a rant about things being woke, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to our Patreon shoutouts. As always, we like to shout out our awesome patrons over at Patreon.com/slash NerdCaveRetro. We want to shout out Daniel Salmon. Tyler Watson, which today is his birthday. Yes. Am I correct? Yep. It so happy birthday. birthday, Mr. Tyler Watson. Axblade07, Armez Jackson, Hand Solo, Carlos Longoria, better known as I Am the Rampage, Steph Sergeant Sketch, Gus and Penny, Matthew Salmon, Mike Eveland, and Mr. Joey Image. Thank you all so much for your continued contributions and keeping the lights on for us here at the show. If you want to join our awesome Patreon community, you get early access to our fun commentary tracks, like our most recent one where we watched the first episode of Cobra Kai, yes. which was a lot of fun to do. And I, I cannot wait for the new season, which drops at the end of this week. And I can't wait and I'm ready. And we got primed up by watching Cobra Kai episode one. I'm ready for the season to start. I'm ready for all my shows to start. That's the great thing about this time of year is all the good shows come back. I know. I'm so ready. I love fall. It's my, it's my most favorite time of year. It's the most... Well, I'm not going to get into a Christmas <laughs> song here, but that's that's for later in the year. Uh, but yeah, you get access. You know, we've done other great commentary tracks like Clue, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Transformers the Movie. We've also done other shows like Gargoyles, uh, Batman the Animated Series. We also did a TGI Friday time block. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun to do. And you get exclusive access to the new Nerd Cave Retro New Stump show with yourself and Mr. Wally Phelps. Yes, uh, we've done two already the last two weeks. We didn't do one this weekend because there's no news to talk about. Nothing really happened this week. So we talked about it and we're going to just wait until something drops this week and then we'll we'll do another news dump. But that that's how that show is going to work. If there's something to talk about, we'll have one. If not... Yeah, we might have to skip a week here and there because it is the gaming industry and it is kind of dry a couple of times out of the year. And unfortunately, this week was a bit dry on the news side. Well, you can only work with the hand you're dealt. So yeah. that's totally understandable. But yeah, if you want to join our awesome Patreon community, just head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro for as little as a dollar a month. Yes. And for new patrons, be sure to send us your social media info, whether that's Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, so we can give you a proper shout out. And I did want to say, everybody head over to Tyler Watson uh, Twitter page. It's at Dymo1985, D-A-I-M-A-O-H-1985. And give him a birthday shout out for us and, and tell him he's awesome. Because we like that guy. He's cool. He's our fact he's good. checker to the fact checker. He's good people. Yeah, he is. No, and, Ty um, Tyler's great. We want to tell you all about our friends over at VideoGamesMonthly.com. If you're looking for a way to beef up your video game collection, then they have you covered. Just head over there, pick the box you want, and tell them what systems you want games for, and boom! It's like Christmas every single month. 
So if you're looking for that perfect gift for a loved one or just treating yourself every single month, then I mean, hey, you deserve it. Just head over to videogamesmonthly.com and enter NCR in the Where Did You Hear About Us line at checkout, and you will get a free game in your first month's box. That's right, an extra game, absolutely free. So head over to videogamesmonthly.com. Are you a coffee lover? Do you sometimes need that little extra boost for some all-night gaming sessions? Well, you should head over to BeResCoffeeCo.com. They have so many different flavors of coffee. doesn't matter what type of coffee you like. They got you covered. Try the Good for Gaming Roast or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. Not to mention, they keep their seasonal flavors all year long, like the Fall Spice or the Sweet Tooth. They can even add flavors to your coffee. So whatever you need, head over to BeResCoffeeCo.com and use the code NCR for 10% off of your order. I do not have uh, music for Joe and Mac because I forgot to do it. So uh, we're just going to go right into the review. Derek, take it away. Oh, you don't want me to sing the theme song? You can if you want to. No, I'm you, here for you it. don't want me to, trust <laughs> me. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Our, our listener rate will plummet if that happens. But yeah, so... I, I'm going to be honest, I couldn't really decide on what to review for this week because I've had a couple of different games that I've been kind of bouncing back and forth on. Like nothing's really been holding my interest. So I decided that I would talk about uh, Joe and Mac, which is a game that I heard of way back in the day. But one of those that, you know, like during the early 90s, I was like fully focused in on like Mario World Link to the Past, and a few other games as well. And I knew of it, but the video store in the town that I lived in never got a copy of it. And it's not really one that I wanted to go out and buy. Yeah, this was always a rental for me. I never bought this game, but I loved playing it. Um, but like I said, I, I liked the the caveman, the arcade versions, uh, Caveman Ninja. And uh, uh, so, of course, anything I could play that was a direct port to the Super Nintendo because the Super Nintendo could actually pull off arcade-style graphics. And uh, I really like this game. And I don't know why I never bought it, but I did rent it several times. And I wish that I would have been able to rent it because I actually had a lot of fun playing it, which, of course, you know, Joe and Mac uh, was released uh, for the arcades by Data East in 1991 and then was later adapted for the Super Nintendo, the Mega Drive slash Genesis, NES, Game Boy, etc. Uh, so I played the Super Nintendo version, which is on the uh, Switch online shop. And I, I remember hearing about this game and hearing good things, and it, it looked like a lot of fun. I remember reading about it in Nintendo Power, but I just never really had the opportunity to play it. So whenever I saw it was on the Switch Online store, started getting into it, and then it really held my interest. So I'm like, this is, I think this will be what, what I talk about. But it's a pretty straightforward game. Uh, you play as, of course, a caveman named Joe or Mac. Uh, Joe has green hair, Mac has blue. And you go through numerous prehistoric theme levels. And the, the goal of the game is to rescue uh, various cave women. And this is kind of where the, the differences between the games start. So in the Genesis version and in the arcades, 
all these cave women are kidnapped by a rival group of Neanderthals. In the Super Nintendo version, the cave women are scared off by them. <laughs> so I don't know. And this is like it's like eliminating the blood from Mortal Kombat. Yeah. You know, from the Super <laughs> Nintendo version. It's like so I don't know if they didn't want that image of kidnapping, even though the theme of your most iconic franchise is rescuing a effing princess. Yeah, I don't know. From being Nintendo did weird stuff with with all these ports. Like like you said, with Mortal Kombat and the Green Blood, like come on. Why? It's in your most iconic franchise. It's your flagship. You <laughs> rescue a kidnapped princess. Sorry, I, I hit know. my microphone. <laughs> but no, cave women is where we draw the line. Yeah. Like that. That's that's too extreme. So anyway, your your goal is to go through these various levels. You fight a boss at the end of each of them, and then once you beat said boss, you rescue one of the women. They give you a nice little kiss on the cheek, and they run, I guess, back to camp. And then you keep you you keep going along. the The controls of this game are pretty simplistic. Like you you have you know your your club that you use as a primary weapon, but you can pick up uh, projectile weapons throughout the game. And this this spans over all versions of the game. So you could get uh, boomerangs, bones, uh, fire, electricity, even which I think the electricity is exclusive to the arcade. If you go through and play this game, I think it is pretty crucial that you get some type of a projectile weapon for two reasons. One, they're stronger than your primary weapon. And two, it's just really difficult when you have a very close range weapon. Because mm-hmm. there, there's one stage early in the game where the boss you fight is a giant pterodactyl. It can make it very difficult because there's only like one or two occasions during, you know, when the boss is doing his routine and his movements and everything that you can actually inflict damage. If you have a projectile, you can do it really at any time. And that's the thing is if you run out of lives, you can still continue and go back to kind of where you were, but you lose your projectile which is unfortunate because that happened with me fighting that pterodactyl. And once I got to it, I'm like, Oh wait, I don't have a projectile. How's, how's this going to work? And it, it, it took me a pretty good while to actually beat the boss, but it, it almost requires you to be more strategic in how you fight the enemies because with the projectiles, you could just, you know, mindlessly throw and you'll chances are you're going to hit something. Yeah. You can't just cheese the boss on a game like this. <laughs> nope. Nope, hmm. you cannot. I learned that the hard way. But uh, some other differences between uh, between the um the various versions with the arcade and the Genesis version, there's no overworld map. So you pretty much just go from stage to stage and you can't go back to any of the previous ones. With the Super Nintendo version, there is an overworld map where you can like you walk to a certain point on the map and that's where you enter the level but you also find um you can go through bonus rounds yet so you the way you get projectiles is you break open these different eggs one might have a boomerang one might have a bone that you can throw but some have these pink pterodactyls that pick you up and carry you to the bonus stage and that's where you can get you know other power-ups you can get extra lives you can also get keys that will open treasure chests on the overworld map 
So yeah. and and those contain you know other um, other items that'll help you along the way. I'm gonna have to go back uh, and play this again because it's been a long time since I've played this game. I remember liking it a lot, but I don't remember any of this that you're telling me about. I I think looking back on it. I would really like to go back and play the arcade version or the Genesis version because I, I feel like the Super Nintendo version was almost too easy. That's because I think that's probably why I have a memory of not buying it. I think I was able to beat this game really easily, and I remember it being kind of short. It is short. Yeah, it, it, it took me like a couple of hours to mm-hmm. to fully get through it. I still had fun doing it, and, and going through the whole process, but it does get kind of repetitive. Yeah, you know, at, at certain points where you, it almost feels so like almost monotonous what you're doing because the objective is the exact same yeah. in every level, and, and every level is a little different, which isn't bad. But at the same time, you only have a very limited number of attacks. The levels aren't that long. The boss fights are are fun for the reasons I mentioned that you kind of have to be strategic if you don't have your projectile but i wish this game was a little bit longer and a little more challenging yeah would be my would be my biggest gripe with it that in uh, i was reading some reviews of the super nintendo version and they were praising the musical aspect because i'm a sucker for 16-bit music Mm -hmm. and it's not that i disliked the music in the game but it was just okay like it wasn't terrible but you know how most games that we really like have those one or two tracks that really stand out where it's yeah. like, you know, with Link to the Past, it might be the overworld theme or the theme from the Dark World from Mario World. You know, God, there's several that I can think of. But w- with this, it's just, you know, it was kind of catchy. I kind of found myself getting into it a little bit, but nothing really stood out with me. But I, I also don't think it's fair to expect every single game to have you know, like iconic level music. This just goes to show how hard it was to to create a music that would would stick to you. You know, like here we are, thirty five years later, and we we still can recall m- most of the games we play, like Super Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda, you know, Contra. Like those games where if, if I if I just hear the music, I instantly am transported. Like, I know exactly what game it is. I know exactly what level it is. Like, it, it's weird. But then there's a lot of games like this that's just, it's got good music, but there's nothing special about it. And, and that happens even with modern games, too. Like, you look at Breath of the Wild. You almost, you expect yeah. nothing less than iconic from the Zelda franchise really when it comes to music. There wasn't a lot music. of music in Breath of the Wild, though. There there are some some tracks that are good, but you look at at link to the past mm-hmm. like you can recite like the music in your head pretty much at will same thing with ocarina of time heck i'm like that with wind waker and majora's mask mm-hmm. but with with breath of the wild it was just kind of like some of the tracks were nice but it's more i think just because there's so much exploring in the game yeah. that you rely more on like the background noises and kind of the ambience yeah which I mean, it it is what it is, but you know, kind of kind of getting back to to Joe and Mac, it is a game that I do wish I had played when I was younger because I I think I would like it more than I do now, and that's not to say I dislike the game, mm-hmm. 
the the controls are pretty simple. Um, how do I say this? Because well, I, I've. I, I oh, just go ahead. want to say, like, if you ha- would have played this back then, like I did, this was at the time, you know, an above average platformer type of game, you know, like, but now you go back and play it. It's like you've played a million things that are, are better than this. And I like the, the visual aspects of Joe and Mac. Like, I think it's actually a, still a, a pretty good looking Super Nintendo game. I th- the Genesis version looks a little more brighter, like they like there's a little more saturation in the mm-hmm. colors. But I still, I still probably would have played the Super Nintendo version over the Genesis just because that's what I had, mm-hmm. you know, at the time. But I, I think you know the this game, it still holds up. I think like the controls are pretty easy. It's almost a little too simplistic kind of as I was saying before, but I still liked it. Mm. You know, I, I don't know if it's one that I'm going to go back and play through again, but that's okay. You know, like not, not every game is, is going to be that I, I'm curious to play the sequel because Joe and Mac two is also on the switch um, online store. So I, I'm kind of intrigued to maybe in like the next couple of months, play through that and see what if any improvements you know have been made on that but i i like the i like the world like you know it's anytime there's like a comedic prehistoric setting you know automatically go to the flintstones yeah <laughs> so it, i i kind of got a little flintstones vibe from that but i i thought it was a i thought it was overall a a pretty fun game not perfect by any stretch i would be very curious to play through the Genesis or the arcade version because I did hear those were more challenging. So I would probably end up liking those more, but it's not really a knock, you know, on, on the game. And as far as um, mentioning sequels, there are actually several. Uh, Let's see. Joe also appeared in the 1993 game boy puzzle game, Frankie Joe and Dirk on the tiles. Uh, along with Frankie from Dr. Franken and Dirk the Daring from Dragon's Lair. That's weird. <laughs> that is a, that's a strange pairing. Yeah. Very strange pairing. Uh, let's see. The title duo would later return in Joe and Mac 2 Lost in the Tropics, which added light role-playing aspects to the series. In an arcade sequel titled Joe and Mac Returns, uh, issued the sh- the scrolling action of the original games in favor of gameplay similar to another Data East series, Tumble Pop, which I have never heard of until this I moment. Don't remember Tumble Pop at all. Uh, let's see, Tumble Pop. Uh, players are tasked with traveling across different countries, capturing enemies and throwing them as bouncing balls, huh. jumping on and off platforms to navigate level obstacles while dodging and defeating monsters in order to save the world. This looks like one of the educational games that I played on like an old computer in elementary school. Yeah, it does. That That's that's weird. But uh, as far as uh, reviews for the game, uh, game rankings rated the Genesis version a 75%, SNES 65.88, and the Game Boy version a 72 All games uh, rated the Genesis 3.5 stars, NES, two and a half. And then it was also available for the Amiga and Amiga power gave it 22%. Oh, wow. That's so, not good. 
<laughs> so I guess the consensus is don't play it on the Amiga. Yeah, that's yeah, weird. Super, Super Play gave the SNES a 72%, and Total gave the Game Boy version a 75%. Do you think this game maybe had too many versions of itself? Probably. I mean, but th- that... Like, Data East was a third-party developer. And for me personally, like, when I think Joe and Mac, I instantly think of the Super Nintendo because this is the majority of where I experienced this game was I played it in the arcade a few times and then the Super Nintendo. And it doesn't even register to me that this came out on so many other systems. Maybe that's why it's not as revered now as it probably could be or should be. Like... If this was an SNES exclusive or a, just a straight Genesis games, it probably would have been, I don't know, looked at a little more favorably. But I guess when you get to that third party where it's on everything, it's just sort of like, doesn't have, it not, it's not doesn't make it special, you know? Well, I feel like there were so many games that were like this out there at the time that were probably better. Yeah, and, and like I know I said, you, you, it's... You, it's a little more above average than your average, you know, uh, side scroller for the 16-bit era. But it seemed like it, like there were a lot of them, so it just probably just got lost in the shuffle. That's exactly what I was thinking too. I would say my overall thoughts on the game: it, it was fun. I really liked the kind of the comedic setting of it, the prehistoric universe and everything that they built. Some of the boss fights were fun, a little too simplistic. And for my taste personally, and as I mentioned, you know, like when you get about halfway through the game, it starts to really feel monotonous and mundane because you're not really doing anything different. But I, I don't know if that's because it was originally an arcade game and that's just kind of what it was. I found I, a good I, quote here for from Stuart Campbell of Amiga Power, uh, and he said, um, <clears throat> Still haven't quite got the grips of how to toggle the music and sound effects. He criticized the game for some of the cheap and nastiest-looking graphics seen on the Amiga in recent memory, and then he criticized the game's poor control system and its, quote, fairly short and tedious levels and concluded that the game was a, quote, lump of crap. Well, at least he kept it PG. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so don't play this on the Amiga. Play it on the Genesis. See if you can find the arcade version. Or if you have a Switch, go to the online shop and get get Joe and Mac. I think if this probably would have been like a Super... if, If Nintendo had... Uh, you know, uh, may, got the franchise out of this or whatever. Like Joe and Mac probably could have been uh, not w- not nearly the level of Mario, but m- maybe like the level of uh, like Mega Man. They could have been Mega Man level you know, NES mascots or Super Nintendo mascots if it had been a console exclusive. Yeah, no, I think so too. I would say overall, I would give this game probably a six and a half. Like seven to me is the average of what I would give like a, you know, a solid game. And I would put it just slightly below that because yeah. I, I don't have the nostalgia for this game that I would for, you know, other games like it of that era. Yeah. It has some fun moments. And I, I do think if you're on the fence about it, mm. 
definitely give it a shot, but don't expect anything too challenging. But it is still a fun game. I'm so just wondering what I'm oh, going to think about it because I guess uh, I do have nostalgia for this game, and I'm wondering if it's going to hold up or if it's going to maybe not be as good as I remember it. Only one way to find out, sir. Yep, I'll have to. Play <laughs> so, it. yeah, that those over all my thoughts on Joe and Mac. Still, still a fun game. I I just remember I like in this game a lot. I say go give it a try. You know, it's not going to be. It's not perfect. It's not going. It, it's a good afternoon waster. Yeah, and that's kind of what I've you know what I've spent the last you know few evenings doing where I've had some free time is just pull out the switch and and play some Joe and Mac for a little while. And uh, next week, I'm going to be reviewing Karate Kid in uh, honor of Cobra Kai. And I still haven't played it yet. I'm going to have to stream it at some point. I might stream it tomorrow if I can. Um, But if not, I'll definitely stream it one evening this week if you guys want to join me and see the awfulness. That was LJN's Karate Kid adaptation for the NES. So what you're saying is fear will not exist on this podcast next week. (laughs) Will not will not enter this this dojo yes rampage Uh, it was tough and i do remember it being very tough but i do remember liking the ice breaking uh mini game in it but that i remember that being the only part of that game that i even remotely liked i have never played the karate kid game so i'm very curious to hear what you say about it and the karate kid game and the rambo games are kind of squashed memories for me so i think i might have played those two games relatively at the same time because i remember rambo being very difficult uh because that was an ljn game as well and it was it's and i think i if i remember correctly i remember seeing some uh videos about it it's a very tough game because it's it's one of those games that's not linear and i might have to try it out and see what that one was like too we just make it a month of bad reviews. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> we'll we'll dedicate a month to LJN games. How about that? Uh, that's that's four more weeks more than they deserve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that brings us to the end of the episode. What what is happening this week on feature presentation? Yes, so you can check out, I actually did a really fun interview with a uh, horror filmmaker named Tori Jones. He grew up a huge fan of uh, the Halloween franchise, and yes, I do ask him his thoughts on Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, Hmm. and uh, we talk about some of his other fun... fun projects too so he's he's made actually quite a few um horror films so if you like horror films then check out uh the feature presentation podcast of course you can follow the show um at feature pres pod on social media and you can find it on youtube and wherever you get your podcasts and rampage in the chat room just jogged a memory for me uh, uh for the karate kid game he said that swinging crane part is tough i never understood what to do I think that's where I stopped playing the game because I couldn't figure out what to do either. I remember being very, very frustrated by that part of the game. So we'll see what happens when I play it on on Twitch and see if I can understand what to do this time. It should make for some entertaining uh, content, that's for sure. I can't wait. <laughs> and uh, If you're not following the Open Micers podcast at Open Micers on Twitter and Instagram, what are you doing with your life? We've had some awesome... If you're, if, especially if you're into comedy, we've had some really good comedians on the last few weeks. We've had like an episode like every three days. So you've got plenty of content over the last month or so to go check out 
at Open Micers Twitter and Instagram. And I think that's going to bring us to the end of the show. So is that everything before we walk out the door? I think so. Awesome. Let's do it. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. And now, nerdcaveretro.com sends you straight to our link tree. You can get to everywhere from there, to Twitter, Instagram, and especially our merch shop, ncrmerch.com, where if you go there right now, they have a Labor Day sale going on. Everything in the store is up to 35% off. You can go get yourself a, um, a, a Planet Juice t-shirt. You can get yourself a get-in user. We're doing video game stuff t-shirt. Anything you need. Not even if you then you have to be a t-shirt. You can get a coffee mug, you can get a uh, magnet, whatever you need. NCRmerch.com. And of course, patreon.com slash retro is our Patreon. And if you can't do that, I understand times are tough. Leave us a review wherever fine podcasts are given away for free. So Derek, please tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Yes. A fellow chucker, eh? Uh...